Hi, Chris Valentin here. Welcome to my podcast, where I hope to inspire you to walk in your royal identity in Christ and experience God's goodness in every area of your life. I hope you enjoy this message today. And if you're looking for more resources, check out chrisvalentin.com. I've been starting the message with a video that we can't play because we're streaming, but it was a video of the Star Trek opening of 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 the ship going out where no man's ever gone before exploring new worlds. So just picture that right now. (laughs) All right. So that was the opening. And I want to (laughs) talk... How'd it go? Went good? Okay, good. So Imagineers. We have a whole room full of Imagineers. We have the strangest people. (laughs) Part of that video says, and we're looking for new life forms. I'm like, we found them. Bill attracts them. <laughs> it's, it's just a joke. You guys are not weird. You're amazing. Um, I want to talk about uh, the Reformation happening at Bethel Church. And I believe that the, the world is going through a Reformation. I've shared probably half this message about a month ago. So some of you that were here and listening will uh, remember the, this part of the message. But I, I want to just repeat that part of the message and then talk to you about the structure and strategy that we're moving in in the next uh, years that we know about, at least. You know, um, I, we got the team together about four months ago, uh, about-ish, uh, and we were talking about the transition of our staff. You know, obviously, we sent out Eric and Candace and several of our other team, and we were talking through what does it look like to transition, what do some of these, you know, what do some of these, uh, these positions look like, and so on and so forth. And when I got up to share, I had in my notes, talk about the transition. But when I got up to speak, the Lord said, you're not going through a transition, you're going through a metamorphosis. Now, most, many of you have already heard this. You're not going through a transition, you're going through a metamorphosis. He said transition is a process of going from one season to another season. But a metamorphosis is not about changing seasons, about, but about changing us. And immediately, I thought about metamorphosis. And of course, I think probably everyone would would imagine this picture of a caterpillar to the butterfly. And I began to think about how we're going through this metamorphosis and how appropriate the caterpillar to butterfly metamorphosis is for this transition or this metamorphosis that we're actually going through. Because, you know, Paul said, don't, he said, he said, don't think of, he said, don't set your mind on the things below, but set your mind on the things above where Christ is for you, for you have died and your life is in Christ. And what I'm getting at is that I believe we're in this huge metamorphosis where we're going from caterpillar that's attached to the earth to butterfly that's attached to the heavens. That we're actually starting to live from heaven towards earth. We're starting to live from the future towards the present. And I'd like to, uh, I'd like to propose that we're in the, ca- we're in the cocoon stage of, of this metamorphosis. That we're in this season of darkness, and uh, I, I mean darkness not in an evil way, but darkness in that where the heck are we, where are we going, what's happening to me, and I think it's, uh, I think it's, it, it's kind of coincides with Isaiah 60, where he says, arise and shine for your light has come, the glory of the Lord has risen upon you, behold, deep darkness covers the earth, deep darkness the people, but the Lord will rise upon you. 
His glory will be seen upon you, and nations will come to your light, kings to the brightness of your rising. We've been uh, quoting that scripture. It came to us as a prophecy 43 years ago. We've been quoting that scripture as a core scripture in our lives, both of what God was doing to us and through us to the nations. That literally that kings would be attracted to the glory of the Lord that's on his people, but it would happen in darkness. Like it would begin in darkness. And I'd like to suggest that we're in this dark cocoon stage where there's a germination happening in us. And if we're not careful, we'll get stuck thinking that something is wrong, that there's something bad happening. And I'd like to suggest that in the darkness, God is creating the butterfly that's about to emerge from the caterpillar, from the, from the, from the, meta, from the uh, cocoon. And um, one of the things I learned by Googling by the way, don't Google Chris Valentin. It's not pretty. <laughs> not everything you Google says is true. But one of the things I, 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 I Googled, you know, the metamorphosis and caterpillar butterfly, and I learned that it's about a two-week cocoon the, uh, process. And if you, if you interrupt the process, like you open the cocoon for the butterfly too soon, well, one, you could kill it if you open too soon, but if, you, but if you open it towards the end of its transition, you will have a butterfly, but it won't be able to fly because it's actually in the struggle, if you will, to get out of a cocoon that actually moves the blood to the ends of its wings so that it can actually grow and fly. In other words, what I'm getting at is that pain has a purpose. And what I'm, getting, what I'm saying to you is that you know, nobody who works out at a gym and get, gets up the next morning sore goes to the doctor and says, something's wrong with me. Because they realize that that pain actually has a purpose. Like, I worked out, I should be sore. What I'm getting at is that there's a lot of pain in culture right now. I wonder if you understand that God is creating, that he's creating capacity so that you can be beautiful and fly as opposed to something's wrong with me, I am sick. You're not sick, you're growing, and God is growing your capacity. I also want to point out that the way that God rewards us most often is to increase our territory, which increases our responsibility. Here we go. You notice people are like, oh, I'm so busy. Oh, I'm so exhausted. And, you know, and, I, and I understand that sometimes we're busy because we have low self-esteem and we're trying to get through work, but we should be getting through love. I get that. But on the other side of that, and I love truth and tension, the other side of that is you think about the minus, the, the man who took the one and created 10 more Midas. You know this minus, minus like 500 bucks. And the Lord said, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with some little stuff. Now I'm going to put you over 10 cities. That guy went from making, taking $500 and making it 5,000. You can imagine that that's a pretty small job. And the next day he's over 10 cities. Lord, I'm overwhelmed. I'm too busy. Listen, when God rewards you, it's usually not with money. It's usually with more responsibility. Good point, Chris. I'm pointing out that some of what you're complaining about might be your reward. Come on. But, but here's the challenge. The challenge is often we get the reward, but we still have caterpillar thinking. Earthly connections begin to... We have to leave the earthly connections and begin to think like the butterfly. Are you with me? It's a metaphor. In other words, if you have, if God expands your territory, but you're still thinking earth, heaven, instead of heaven, earth, if you're still thinking past, present, instead of future, present, you may think there's something wrong and you won't have access to the grace you have, you're supposed to have to actually do what God's called you to do. 
That's a good word. You're building strong wings. Just everyone say, I'm building strong wings. I'm building strong wings. No, I didn't tell you to do it twice. Just once, we fine. What happens to the disobedient? Remember this in the... Just being super funny. I'm so sorry. Uh, my favorite quote, you've heard it many times from me. In times of change, learners inherit the earth. Well, the learned find themselves beautifully prepared, but for a world that no longer exists. I think it's important that we remain learners, that we remain lifetime learners, that we don't ever get to a place where we got this all figured out. We're actually going where we've never gone before. I actually do like the Star Trek thing. It was a little bit funny, but it actually had a message, and that is we are actually going where we've never gone before. Some of us are scared because, like, we're, I don't know where we're going. I know because we've never been here before. We're like the Star Trek. We're like moving. We're like looking for new life forces that the Lord has initiated in our I like this stuff. If we're going to change the world, we got to think big. Okay. If we're going to change the world, we got to think big. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, a child. We got to, I, I, I wrote this down a while back. We got to think like Elon Musk. We got to dream like Walt Disney. We got to build like Steve Jobs. We've got to collaborate like Abraham Lincoln's team of rivals. We've got to invent like Nikola Tesla. We have to war like Winston Churchill. And we have to keep Jesus at the center. <laughs> I said that the, uh, in the meeting, this is uh, three months ago, and I had it all down, and, and uh, Leslie stood up before I could finish. She said, where's Jesus? He needs to be at the center. So the very next meeting we had, in great big letters, I wrote as they came in, Jesus is at the center. <laughs> then I quoted it again. Obviously, Jesus is at the center of everything. We have to be Jesus to the world. I, I had this, uh, this picture, this vision. Uh, again, this is a part I've shared already. But I had this picture in our meetings that we were having. Uh, we called them the As One meetings, our new structure meetings um, of this rocket ship, I actually had it the morning before, and I got the short video of Apollo 11 going to the moon. Do you remember? Some of you are old enough to remember the Apollo 11 uh, rocket ship going to the moon, and uh, and I got this video, and it's uh, it's the video. It's a sh it's a short version of it. It's like four minute version of it, and it uh, starts with the scientists and engineers and all the people who worked on the rocket inside of a room, probably about this big with maybe about this many people. They all got white coats on. Have you seen the video? And there's a great big screen, probably maybe bigger, maybe half again bigger than that, with, with the rocket that's you know, outside taking off and they've got a video of it watching it. And the, they're all standing and all of a sudden the rocket, you know, 10, 9, 8, 7, the rocket takes off and they all stand and they're clapping and then the rocket and the, and the guy's... You know, uh, in the background, he's like, and we have takeoff, we have takeoff. And then the rocket is, goes out and it takes off and it's thrusting and uh, we have thrust, the thrusters are working and all of a sudden they go out of the atmosphere. You know the story, right? They go out of the atmosphere and into the stratosphere and the thrusters fall off. He's like, and the thrusters have fallen off, the thrusters have fallen off and everyone claps and it's like, yay. And I'm watching this and I'm like, wow, the thrusters that took them out of the atmosphere fell off when they got into the stratosphere. They were no longer necessary. They were dead weight. 
in us is thinking that as we're going through this metamorphosis, there are things that propelled us here that we don't need any longer. And I wrote this down. It's time to question reality. It's important to ask ourselves why we do the things we do. It's important. It's, is it, I'll start over. Is it possible that the conditions that cause us to keep certain important traditions have changed? Has deeper revelation or new technology made customs in which we take so much pride in and from which we get so much comfort, are they now irrelevant? And what I'm getting at is like, I believe that there are things that got us here, like they were good things. They weren't sins, they weren't encumbrances, but they're actually structures and strategies that we found much comfort in. Maybe there were things we were famous for because we were teaching them and that we actually canonized, but we realize now that they were traditions that were good for the season, but not good for now. Do I need to say that differently? I'm saying sometimes we're taking comfort and we canonize things. Like we find scriptures to validate, like we're supposed to only do it this way. And then God does another thing. We're like, we need the thrusters. And what are we going to do now? That's how we got out of here. And something's wrong. We've lost it all. And God's like, I sent them away. (laughs) You don't need them anymore. Sometimes we take a lot of confidence in the structure God built instead of the God who built the structure. I want us to begin to leave past present thinking and start thinking future present so that we're building future present. Let me say it one more time. I've said this a few times lately. It's been in my mind a lot. I want us to leave past present thinking and start thinking future present. Therefore, we must build future present. Now, I understand that sometimes we have to heal our past so that we can have a future. I get that. Some of you are like, you want to go future present. You don't understand my past. I'm like, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying... I have no compassion for past, present. I'm saying we can get stuck in the way it was. You know what I'm saying? Our theme song becomes the way we were. You have to be old to... I realize like, well, it's a room full of young people. They don't even know what song that was. But I believe that the Lord wants us to start thinking future, present. Paul put it this way, actually, forgetting what lies behind and pressing forward for the upward call in Christ Jesus. It, it's, it's like there, there are times, well, let me say this. It's important that we, that we honor our past, right? Honor the past, live in the present, but look to the future. I don't want us to live in the future. I want us to live from the future. I want us to have a hundred-year vision. I want us to be thinking, what is God building what is God doing? Therefore, what do we need to build to get there? Does that, that make sense? Um, this reminds me of an uh, illustration. I love cars. So you guys know I love cars. So it's, there's always going to be a car illustration somewhere in my message. Sometimes I never get to it. But, you know, in 1908, the first Model T rolled off the assembly line. Now, obviously, that was not the invention of the car, but it was the invention of the of the of the actual um, assembly line. 
And the cool thing about it is it was $825, and the average middle-class American could buy that car. For the first time, Americans everywhere had access to an automobile. Uh, in, in 1914, just a few years later, they dropped the price to $575. So now even lower middle-class people could afford a car. And the challenge was, of course, uh, is that they began to debate. The debate in that day, in the 1900s, early 1900s, was what is better transportation, cars or horses? Now, it sounds silly to us, but we have to remember that although there were cars, the roads were built for horses. They were narrow, dirt, versus wide and paved. And although there were cars, there were stables, and there was no gas stations. There were blacksmiths, but there were no mechanics. There were, there, <laughs> I said vegetarians in second service, veterinarians. <laughs> they didn't have vegetarians in those days. <laughs> there were veterinarians, but there was no repair shop. Sorry, that was meant to be funny. Oh, just offend everybody. And there were stables, but there were no garages. My point is, is that the structure, listen, we're talking about structure right now. The structure was built for a former season. And therefore, there was actually debates whether horses or cars were better transportation. They actually used to race horses and cars. And you could always tell what was in the former revelation when God does a new thing, because you have an experience before you have the language. For example, when they described an automobile's power, they called it horse power. Why? Because it was, the language was still from the former revelation. So would you rather have a, a horse, or would you rather have a Model T that had 18 horsepower? Imagine that. If you were riding horses every day, and Henry goes, well, you can have a horse, or you can have 18 horses. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm saying the language was former, former season, but it was being used to market a new thing. And so you can, you can see that the structure needed to change because the, the transportation changed. Like, so actually, a horse was better transportation for the first few years because you'd drive a Model T for 100 miles, probably around 90 miles, and you'd run out of gas, and there's no gas station. Your car would break down, and there was no mechanic. It goes on and on. There was no infrastructure for the new revelation. How many of you have ever been to England or Europe? Some of you are from there. Yeah, you go to England, and there's very narrow roads. Have you noticed that? Because, why? Because they built buildings out of stone when most American buildings were built out of wood. So when we came into the new tr this, this new era of, of transportation, when we moved into the automobile from the horse, we just moved our buildings over or tore them down. We picked them up and just literally moved them over. But you couldn't move the huge stone buildings of Europe that were hundreds of years old. So what happens is, is that you go to Europe and you'll notice that the structures are from a former season. It's a metaphor. I hope you're getting it. I'm saying some of you have things that can't be moved. I'll leave it there. I'll let you think about how that might work. Uh, what I'm getting at, though, is that we're in a season where God is creating new structures because he's created new transportation. We're in a reformation that's turning into a renaissance. 
And I really believe that oftentimes we're insecure because we fear most the unknown. And that's why I like the Star Trek video because it actually inspires us to go where no one's gone before. And if we realize that this is our mission, that we're to push out beyond the places our forefathers went and actually create new roads to things that have never been connected to before. Like what would happen if God wanted to do a whole new thing? What would happen if God wanted to use our history to give us, uh, uh, to, to actually give us strategy for something that had never been done before? Because, you know, in the last days God said, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. I believe that we're doing something, maybe it's been done before, probably it has, but I don't know if it's been done in modern history. So I love this verse. I'm talking about vision. Well, Proverbs 29, 18, we shouldn't miss that one. Without a vision, where there's no vision, the people go unrestrained or they perish. Um, I love this quote, a man without a vision is a man without a future, and a man without a future will always return to his past. So we're talking about vision. It's vision that gives pain a purpose. Again, if I go to the gym and I work out because I want to have a great body and I have pain the next morning, I don't mourn the pain, I celebrate the pain because I realize that this pain has taken me to my purpose. It's taken me to my vision. Um, I love this proverb in the Passion Translation Proverbs 24, 3 and 4, wise, men, wise people are builders. They build families and businesses and communities. And through intelligence and insight, their enterprises are established and endure. Because, their skilled leadership, because of their skilled leadership, the hearts of people are filled with treasures of wisdom and pleasures of spiritual wealth. Is that a good verse? I believe that God wants us to, to build something that's maybe never been built before. And I, I believe that God's raising up futurists and solutionaries and cultural architects and Kairos conductors, people that actually see the future and can help us build from the future. I think that lo, the Lord wants us to actually be people that don't just uh, pastor a church, but we actually are an apostleship that helps, us, helps actually lead a city. One of the challenges we have and have had, especially in the beginning of COVID, which I, I want to make sure that this doesn't sound like a political statement because it, it isn't, but the challenge that we had as a leadership team is that we had built 20 years relationship with our community leaders, with our, everywhere from our city leaders to our county leaders to our you know, police chief, our sheriff, our city manager, city council. I mean, we've built connections with them so that we can serve our civil leaders in a way that helps to build a great city. Well, the Lord gave us this vision of having one city. Bill calls it Geneva. I like to call it Paris. It's like when the glory of the Lord shows up in a city, what happens when there's a city under the influence of the kingdom? Not under the influence of religion. We've had lots of those. But what happens when a city comes under the influence of the kingdom and, and God's people begin to serve the civil leaders in a way that builds a beautiful city with them? We build partnerships. The fivefold ministers, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers build relationship with the civil leaders and we begin to create a beautiful vision together, and we see a city, a model city, established. This is, this is exciting to me. Um, they, it, it reminds me of uh, an interview that Elon Musk did uh, with, uh, with, uh, with an interviewer concerning 
his, uh, him going to Mars, the interviewer said to him, why are you spending billions of dollars and investing billions of dollars to go to Mars? Are you building, are you trying to, to prove safe transportation to Mars? Are you trying to build an industry on Mars? Why are you trying to establish an economy on Mars? Or what are you trying to do? And Elon Musk said this. He said, I'm not, I'm not raising and investing billions of dollars for any of that. I'm not going to try to develop life on Mars or an economy on Mars or build an industry on Mars. I'm spending billions of dollars for one picture. I'm landing a self-contained seabed of nutrients needed to grow grass, flowers, and green shrubs so that I can get one picture, which is a lush green landscape in front of a red dirt mountain backdrop. That picture is going to invite every ideator, every inventor, every explorer, every investor to say, this is now possible. And I wonder what happened with our mandate, this mandate of One City Vision, that people would visit Reading and experience a city under the influence of the kingdom and reap the benefits of the one who calls himself the hope of nations. Like, what would happen if we had one model city where people didn't come to Bethel Church, but they actually came to our city and experienced the kingdom? And you're like, why are you trying to do that? So that Bethel could be famous? No, so that God could be famous so that people would have an experience and every inventor, every ideator, every imagineer, every cultural architect would take ideas from here and they say, if they can do it in Little Reading, why can't we do it in our city? I met with a city leader recently and I, and I, I said to him, you know, I don't know if you know this, but um, do you know that, that, that Reading is becoming an international city? He looked at me, said, what do you mean? I said, well... Like last year alone, we graduated 72 nations. And there's probably over 80 nations represented just in our congregation alone. And, and, and one, of our, one, of, one of the things I would love to see is us going from an international city to a multicultural city. Wouldn't it be awesome if this was a multicultural city? And he's like, that would be amazing. And he told me, I love what you're doing. I said, you understand what's happening? Like the largest, the, 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 the largest vocational school approved by a homeland security in the United States is right here in Redding, California. And that means that internationals are coming here from all over the world. In a city of 90,000 people, there's thousands of people, international people, coming from all over the world because they've heard the cry of one city that God is doing something in a city, not just in a church. And I started to tell you, the challenge with COVID is mo most churches were pastoring a, a people, a people, uh, a, a congregation, and we were leading a city. We are leading a city. It was, I'm not saying we made the right decisions, the wrong ones, please. I'm not protecting, I'm not, I'm not defending or protecting any decisions. I'm pointing out to, to you, the congregation, that it's one thing when you, if you're just have to care for your congregation, you might make one decision. But if you're trying to protect an entire city and protect your relationships that you built for years and you're walking with civil leaders and, and five-fold ministry leaders and you're trying to make decisions together, how many know it's not quite as simple? Whether we got it right or wrong, you know, 10 years from now, I, I said to our team the other day, 10 years from now, we'll look back and we'll go, we should have done that different. We, that was great. That looked like a mistake, but it worked. You get the idea. It, I think history will tell us what we, if what we did was right. But my point is, is that most people were thinking pastorally. We were thinking apostolically. 
We are reforming. We are reforming, reforming our movement. And that means that we're reforming our apostleship. Now, um, I, I like to introduce you to terms that you may not know because they're very simple terms, but we just haven't heard them much. What is an apostleship? Think apostles and then think the roads that apostles drive on, right? Think, you know, in a great illustration when they built Shasta College here, uh, they finished the building. They didn't put any sidewalks in. They planted lawn all the way around the college and they waited for one year to see where the staff and the, and the students wore out the lawn and there they poured sidewalks. Those sidewalks, in my illustration, are government. They're not the governors, they're the government. They're the structure that facilitates the government. Are you with me? They're the structure that facilitates the cars or horses. What's best for horses is not necessarily best for cars. Are you with me? So when you think of apostles, what roads facilitate apostles? Remember, what does apostle mean? It means sent one. But it means to be sent from a place to another place. To reproduce in the place you're sent to what you're sent from to the place you're sent to looks like the place you're sent from. We simply call that cultural transformation. How many understand that if you don't transform culture, you're not apostolic? I didn't say you weren't amazing. I'm not saying that evangelist is less than an apostle. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying what makes apostles apostles is that it's on earth as it is in heaven. That they actually have responsibility to see cultural shift. Are you with me? Yes, Chris. So if you're in a church that's a pastorate, meaning that a pastor is the leader of that church, we call everybody pastor, but an actual five-fold pastor, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. I don't know how I got six out of five. <laughs> There's some pastors that are just amazing. They should be mentioned twice. <laughs> it was kind that you didn't laugh until I, made it. I said something about it. But if you come from a church that's a pastorate, a pastorate is a, is a structure that's built around gathering. What do shepherds do? They gather, they, keep, they get the flock healthy and happy. Are you with me? These are pastorates. All roads lead in. Kind of like the pool of Bethesda. You get in the pool to get, to get healed. You get in the pool to get saved. You get in the pool to get delivered. You come to church. It's all about coming. It's not wrong. It's just different. Are you with me? But how many you know apostleships are like Ezekiel's river? The, the water is dripping, is flowing from underneath the door, and the further you get from the temple, the deeper the water gets. How many understand the further you get from the church, the greater the miracles? This is an apostleship. This is about sending. The pool of Bethesda is about gathering. I'm using two metaphors to illustrate structure. If you're a pastor, you gather. Remember the 99 sheep and one that left? It's all about going to get them. But how many know apostles aren't about gathering? They're about sending. It's about discovering your, your, your purpose, developing you, discover, develop, and then deploying you. The goal of apostleships is to get you ready to go, to equip you to go. Sometimes when people go, we're like, something's wrong, they're going. Like, no, no, we're doing what we're called to do. Like, this is what we do. We send out flaming arrows to change culture. And so we're building this apostleship. I'd say we're reforming this apostleship because God, as he has expanded our metron, he, is, he has increased our territory. 
And how many understand that when God increases you, there are things that have to fall off and there's things that have to grow. New structures create new ways of doing your moonshot. I want to give you uh, just a a little bit of uh, practical stuff. Our, our, we, our, our SLT, our senior leadership team, this is our apostleship. Our senior leadership team we call our apostleship. I want to tell you who's on that team because we put some new members on that team. I said we're growing our capacity to actually transform culture. So uh, we put Bill on there this time. <laughs> I'm sure he's watching. I thought I'd be funny. Uh, Kathy and I, Brian and Jen. If you're in the room, would you stand up? Brian and Jen is, oh, good. Just stay standing for just a minute. Uh, Dan Fairley. <laughs> Danny Silk is on our team. He's obviously not here, but he comes in. And uh, Gabe Venezuela, he'll be in the next service, I think. Uh, Havila Cunnington. Havila is, by the way, we just put Havila on our senior leadership team. And she's also, we just put her over our women's ministry with a team of women. Did you guys hear her preach last for two weeks ago? It's amazing. Um, and uh, Haley, Haley Braun. Uh, is Joel Taylor here? He just left, Joel Taylor. Uh, Jason and Lauren, um, they're not here. Uh, Tom and Leslie, they'll be, oh, Leslie's here, awesome. Uh, Stephen Ruth. Stephen Ruth. Uh, Ryan Collins, he is the CEO of Bethel Technology. Um, Chris and Lana, they were in the first service. Uh, Paul Manwaring is on our team. Ben and Heather, they were in first service. Uh, Charlie Harper's on vacation. And David Stein was in first service. Would you just give these guys a hand? And uh, I believe that we're, we're building this uh, apostolic uh, uh, council, and I, I'm, we're just talking through, like, mirroring what does it look like to reemerge. In other words, instead of just saying, hey, we've had an SLT for 20 years, what, well, let's just have another SLT and do what we've always done. Uh, what we're saying as a leadership team is, what should we be doing in this new season? If we are actually going through a metamorphosis, and we actually believe that, then what do we do different than we did before, and what does the structure need to look like for this new season? Because if we actually want to go where we've never gone before, then we have to do what we've never done before. And so we've been, we've been looking uh, you know, at models of Scripture and also uh, things that, we, you know, that we've done, that we've, that we've heard of and things that we've been dreaming of. Um, I had a quote here, but I don't think I'm going to find it. Um, it, it, I have six minutes, so let me just finish with the overview of some things we're thinking about. In Acts 15, the Gentiles in the, in the previous year have been getting saved, Gentiles. Now, for most of us, that doesn't mean much, but just think about it. In the first century, the first 25, 30 years-ish, the, the New Testament church was basically Judaism with the Holy Spirit superimposed. They still went to synagogue. They, were, they met from homes to homes and in the synagogue. You hear, you hear it over and over in Acts 2, 3, and 4. They were basically Jews that had received the baptism in the Holy Spirit and received Jesus Christ. So, but there was already a religious structure. And then something happened. Remember they got scattered when there was a persecution. Uh, for instance, Philip went down to Samaria. Uh, Peter ends up in Cornelius' house, who is a, who is a, 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 a Greek. 
And, and all of a sudden, the Jews, the Greeks, start to get saved. And first it's a few hundred, and then it turns into thousands, and then it's hundreds of thousands. For, for instance, the, the, the book of uh, Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians, is a, is a book written to the Greeks. F, the book of uh, Ephesians, a, a book written to the Greeks. Um, Romans, obviously, a book written to the Romans. And so all of a sudden, these people start getting saved. Now, the interesting thing about these people, in, in case you didn't, maybe never thought of this, because I never did until I started doing a little research, but these, these people did not have, these Greeks and Romans didn't have a Judeo-Christian understanding. In other words, they wouldn't have known who Adam and Eve were. They wouldn't have known the story of creation. Like, we just take it for granted. Everybody knows that story. Uh, the Africans, the Asians, you know, the Europeans, they all know that story. It's like, not true in, in first century Greek and Roman culture. They would have not known who David and Goliath were. You couldn't use that as an illustration in, in even a secular world because they, they wouldn't have known that story. And what I'm getting at is that these, were, these Greeks and Romans, they were polytheists. They believed in multiple gods. They would have known who Hercules is. They would have known who Artemis is. They would have known things you don't know about. Like you may not even know who those people are about the Greek gods. And, and what I'm getting at is they start getting saved. And all of a sudden, everyone's excited about them getting saved. But they're wondering, the, 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 the church leaders, the apostles, and the Pharisees. Now, I need to say this to you too. The Pharisees were kind of the bad guys in the Gospels. But they actually became the good guys in much of the book of Acts and later. Because when you got saved, who's going to teach you the Bible? Because, first of all, there wasn't very many Bibles. Remember, you had the hand right then. There was no printing press. And most people couldn't read. What would you need reading for in the agricultural age? So unless you were highly educated, you probably couldn't read if someone gave you a Bible. And it wasn't likely that even, a, even a, a rabbi owned a copy of the scrolls of the Bible. They would be owned by the synagogue, and they would read them from the synagogue. Are you with me? This is a much different culture. So the, and, the, and the Pharisees had to memorize the first five books of the Bible, so they didn't even need a copy of the Bible from the standpoint of the first five books because they had to memorize it to become a Pharisee. Am I making sense? So you can imagine when the early church, when people started getting saved... Who, and by all of a sudden, hundreds of thousands of people are hungry for the Bible. Who knows the Bible? The Pharisees. And the Pharisees start getting saved, and they, they become the shepherds of the first century church. Think, Paul, think uh, the Apostle Paul. Who was Apostle Paul? He was a Pharisee. And one of the reasons why he was one of the main teachers is because he was a Pharisee. Are you with me? And what I'm getting at is that these Pharisees get, uh, these Pharisees get saved... And then when the, when the Gentiles get saved, they're like, what do we do with these Gentiles? They don't know anything about the Bible. You can imagine the stress. Like, are we, are they, listen, they should know the book of Genesis. And then it, then it was more than that. Should they keep the law? Should they have to be circumcised? Should they keep the Sabbath day? And there's all these, you know, it's all this confusion because the Holy Spirit fell on Jews who already had a Bible. Are you with me? So the apostles all gather in Jerusalem, uh, actually, it, it, apparently, it was James, the half-brother of Jesus, who calls the apostles together and says, we've got to have a meeting to figure out what we're going to do with these, th this new group of people. It's the moonshot. Right. It's the, we've never been there before. It's the discovering new worlds. 
running into people we've never known before. And of course, the Pharisees are saying, they have to be circumcised. Listen, they have to keep the law just like we did. And so they bring, I have two minutes, sorry. They bring, you know, Paul and Barnabas come in. And you can imagine, this is probably a three-month journey to get everyone together. There's no cars, planes, and trains. So they, you know, they, they, Paul and, and Barnabas start telling stories of how God has supernaturally healing and saving and doing miracles among the Gentiles. And the point is, without them being circumcised or keeping the law, God's doing miracles. Peter stands up. He goes, I got some of those stories too. I went to Cornelius' house and, and I started preaching the gospel to them. And when I got halfway through my message, Holy Spirit fell on them. And they started speaking in tongues. Didn't even finish my message. And they were like, well, we might as well baptize them in water. They're already speaking in tongues. And, and so they have these supernatural stories. So they tell their stories, right? And then, they, and then somebody else gets up. It was James. And he says, brothers, and there's a gathering. And by the way, it's apparent that a congregation is watching them because it says the congregation was intently listening to them. While the apostles debated what should they do. And James stands up and he goes, Brothers, let me tell you that the scriptures agree with the testimonies we have here. And he quotes Amos 9. In the last days, I'll rebuild the tabernacle of David. I'll rebuild the tabernacle of David. I'll wall up its ruins. I'll raise up its breaches. Get this. So that all the Gentiles who are called by my name might seek the Lord. And so I, I love this because they, so, so he says to them, he starts, he lays out, a, a strategy for what they should do. And he gives them four things to do. We're not going to talk about it right now. But I love this. They articulated the problem. What's the problem? We got Gentiles saved, but we don't know what to do with them. Because the structure, if I can use the metaphor again, the structure is developed for Jews. <laughs> what do we do with these Gentiles? Is this structure going to fit the Gentiles? They shared, they articulated a problem. Then they shared their God stories. Then they recounted their prophecies. They compared their testimony to the scripture. They made a decision, they made a decree, and they put out a press release. They sent out Barnabas, and, Barnabas and, and Paul with this press release of, hey, you guys don't have to be circumcised. You just need to do this. What I love about this is this, this gives us a great apostolic forum. Like, what do apostleships, what do apostles do when they gather? They, if you will, they articulate problems. They share God's stories. They they recount prophecies. They compare their testimonies and to the scripture. They make decisions. They make decrees. They put out a press release. And I, I believe that God's created a great reformation in our movement as we create new structures to hold the new wine. How many know it's the same wine, but it's a new, it's a new wine skin because it's a new season? Would you stand, please? Can I say that I've been talking about leadership, but this isn't about leadership as much as it's about you? I don't think that we are in a metamorphosis like us and I think it's all y'all. I was trying to say to you through the message that you may be feeling some pain that you think doesn't have a purpose. And I'd like to propose to you that God always prunes for a purpose. And, but when you get cut, when God prunes you, 
and you don't know it's to bear more fruit, you think he's cutting you back, and God's actually expanding your territory. So I'm going to pray for you right now, and I'm going to pray that the Lord gives you specific revelation about what he's called you to be and do, because I believe that we're creating a culture that actually calls out future present. Like, wouldn't it be awesome if the whole culture was prophetic? It is prophetic, but it actually looks at you and knows you after the spirit. As 2 Corinthians 5, 16 says, we know each other no longer after the flesh, but after the spirit. This is a whole part I didn't get to. What would happen if the culture begins to look at you, not after your past present, but after your future present, and we build a structure to help you come into your divine call? Lord, I pray right now that you would release a revelation into every single person here. That the, and, and I pray that you would show them where they are in the metaphor. Whether they're the caterpillar moving towards cocoon, whether they're in the cocoon, or whether they've come out and they're learning to fly. Lord, I bless every single person here, and I pray, God, that you re- release your divine destiny and purpose in them. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you want to find out more, read my blog or listen to the previous podcast episodes. Go to chrisvelleton.com. Have an awesome day.